Welcome to the HJ Talks About Abuse podcast. In this podcast, we talk about sexual abuse cases in the hope it will assist listeners in openly discussing topics which have been ignored for too long. This podcast is brought to you by the abuse team at Hugh James. We are lawyers, so we do tend to speak about the legal aspects of abuse cases, but we aren't too shy to speak up about the broader issues faced by survivors too. This is the Natives Abuse Team podcast. I'm from Hugh James. My name's Alan Collins and I'm joined today by my colleague Sam Barker. Hello. And today we are going to talk about a BBC reported survey, which is about the question, is child abuse less forgivable than murder and rape? That's the question and that is the question that we're going to be looking at as a result of a conclusion reported by the BBC to a ComRes survey where the general public are saying apparently that child abuse is less forgivable than murder and rape. So the headlines from this report is that child abuse is considered impossible to forgive by nearly 9 out of 10 British adults, more than murder and rape. 8 out of 10 people said sexual abuse, including rape, was unforgivable compared with just over 7 out of 10 for murder. One in four women found infidelity unforgivable compared with fewer than one in five men. So, today's podcast is going to try and delve into this a little. And the first point that we would like to make is that we are not survivors of either murder or rape or child abuse or we're just lawyers. And we respect the faults and positions of survivors and it's not for us to say who is right and who is wrong. What we want to do is explore and discuss the survey and see what lies behind some of the findings. So, Sam, initial thoughts? Well, my initial thoughts um, on the survey generally are that it's, it's kind of difficult to understand exactly what it, what it is surveying and, and who and about what. And the reason why I say this is because it's difficult to kind of understand exactly who's forgiving who in this situation because for example it's obviously not the victim of murder so are we talking about the families of the murder victim who are forgiving the murderer or is it the the victim of the rape forgiving the rapist or is it society generally forgiving the person who has committed this offences and is inside uh inside jail or prison wherever so at the outset it's it's a bit difficult to um completely see this scientific survey i guess and yeah, I think that I think that in those circumstances, it's not exactly helpful. Well, let's make a couple of points that we can perhaps frame this discussion around. So, society has decided that child abuse is wrong. That's a given. That's you know plain common sense, and we have very clear laws that reflect this. And punishment has evolved over recent years, but it reflects the gravity and serious consequences of child sexual abuse. I think we would all accept that sentences are far tougher than, say, 20 years ago, and that probably reflects how society has evolved with these issues. Some may say that the punishments are not tough enough, which perhaps feeds into the possibility that maybe these forgiveness issues or findings are getting mixed up with punishment. And we have seen over the last couple of days um, on Twitter Survivors have a range of positions on all of this. Some have said on Twitter that they have forgiven their abusers. Others have said that they did not want them punished. Others have said that they can never forgive. 
and that prison is not punishment enough. And indeed, in our own work, when we talk to our clients, um, survivors of CSA, you do get a range of opinions. Some will clearly say, you know, the sentence isn't tough enough, it's not long enough, it's not harsh enough. Others will go and say, I did not want my abuser to go to prison. I just wanted him to acknowledge what he had done to me. I did, certainly didn't want him to go inside. And then you get all these issues about guilt. Some survivors then feel personally responsible that their abuser has gone to prison. So it's complex, and I think we have to recognise um, the complexities of the range of opinions and the range of feelings and how children who've been abused and how this then manifests itself when they become adults. Yeah, look, and my view is that in terms of forgiveness, that is absolutely a question for the survivor and whether they want to take that step and you know um, have some sentiment of forgiveness in relation to the offence and what occurred. That's totally within you know what they can make the decision about doing. The question about whether one is worse than the other brings in a lot of other questions. And to make a, you know, what I think is a rather pedantic point here, but I think if you're surveying people in the street, what they're not necessarily taking into account is that much of the conduct that they're saying is not as bad as child abuse is probably conduct that wouldn't amount to murder, in my view. That's an interesting point, isn't it? Because murder is it, murder is where you have the deliberate taking of a life or really reckless conduct that has resulted in a death, whereas manslaughter is where a death has occurred, but there hasn't been this sort of deliberate taking of life. Exactly. So, you know, it's, it's also the lack of malice, really, um, in relation to these offences. So you'll have a lesser offence of manslaughter where you don't have the premeditation, the malice, the intention, as you're rightly saying there, Alan. So you could have the situations where there's diminished responsibility, perhaps the person who is responsible for the death yep. um, was under a lot of pressure, maybe it's you know, one of these very emotive cases where a loved one is caring for someone who is terribly ill and perhaps in the final stages of life, and they decide to take that person's life, which is, of course, a, a big subject in itself, but yeah. I think we all know what we're talking about here, um, which is completely different to somebody going out onto the street with a, a knife or a gun and deliberately taking somebody's life. Exactly, and I, I think also one of the things that many people would be thinking about on the street um, when asked about this and you know what they would have in their mind thinking is murder in that circumstance would be something like a uh, you know the battered wife syndrome I don't know if that's something that made media a lot here in the UK but certainly in Australia battered wife syndrome was something that was highly publicized and in those kind of circumstances where you know a, a significant other a partner who's been subjected to long-standing abuse in the household kills their partner the the abuser I think a lot of people on the street would be saying in those circumstances well that's in that circumstance, that's where it's not as bad as, say, rape. But there are defences for that kind of conduct, such as loss of control, diminished responsibility, Alan, you were talking about before. 
Um, uh, insanity is a complete defence to murder. If you get off, it's reduced. You're found not guilty by reason of insanity. So you wouldn't have actually be found guilty of the offence. So I think a lot of people would be thinking about that. And in that circumstance, yeah, I do think it's justified to say it's not as bad, but it's actually not murder. Well, the danger is, of course, that we end up comparing apples with pears. They can be very different things. And, of course, another issue that feeds into all of this is contrition. Mm. Now, in our experience, a lot of convicted abusers show no insight or very little insight into the consequences of their actions. They reject any sort of notion of guilt. Therefore, there's a complete lack of contrition or very little contrition. And that perhaps, too, feeds into... Can this person actually be forgiven if you are showing no remorse? And judges, when they pass sentence, often point out to the lack of remorse that's being shown by um, the convicted um, sex offenders. So you can see how that feeds into the forgiveness issue, which again is something that we have to respect when survivors are talking about whether or not they can forgive. And I think we also have to recognise that the law has stated that murder carries a mandatory life sentence. There are often um, minimum terms that have to be served. In CSA cases, there are situations where a life sentence can be passed and again, minimum terms to be served um, set by the judge. So maybe the courts have got it right when it has to look at a complex range of issues which would include the gravity of the offences, the consequences of the offences, the contrition, if there's any, any mitigating circumstances, which seem to be very rare, and in my experience when it comes to CSA cases, let alone murder cases. Going on from there, I think we have to also remember that when it comes to surveys like this and and trying to compare like with like, which I'm not necessarily sure... Um, as a result of what we're talking about here, is a good idea, but we'll come back to that. We don't know what the murder victim is is saying about all of this, to state state the obvious. And families of murder victims, you know, they have had somebody taken away from them, a loved one, in often, well, invariably dreadful um, circumstances, and they've got that loss that can never be... Field. There's a big void, which is, I think, impossible, from what I see in here, impossible to fill. Yet, in some situations, there is forgiveness. In other situations, they can't. And we have to recognise that. Yeah, exactly. I think that um, it, it, it's really important to take into account the fact that the court does have these guidelines in place which can increase the gravity of the offence and, indeed, the the sentence applicable to the offence that's being carried out. So in that way, the court system, I think, has kind of got it right. I, I would say that a lot of people would disagree that the court systems get it right. But but in any event, these kind of things are covered. The question of uh, what what kind of conduct is worse than other conduct, you know, it, it, that, that doesn't play into what a judge has to think about when sentencing. But certainly conduct by that person, both both pre and post the crime committed certainly factors into the sentence and and for the listeners that have been hearing us talking about this that's what's called mitigory elements and also aggravating elements one makes the crime worse one makes it um, not as bad I guess and I also think if we're going to be looking at 
comparing like with like and this issue of whether forgiveness is possible, surely we need to know a lot more about why certain individuals in society go on and sexually abuse children. So there's a lot of effort and a lot of energy expended on catching these people, taking them through the justice system and so on. Yeah, we get all of that, understand all of that, and that's very necessary. What troubles me is when we look at all of these issues is the fact that we really don't know enough about why certain individuals go and behave in this way. And maybe if we did, then there'd be far less sexual abuse in the first place. And we would also begin to understand why these individuals who commit these horrendous crimes um, are at risk of behaving in this way, why they could commit these offences, and why there is a complete lack of contrition in so many cases. Yeah, really good point. I think that that brings into the frame another question here, and that is how prison actually works in deterring people from committing crimes. Now, I know there's the knee-jerk reaction on the street to certain things would be, that person needs to spend the rest of their life in jail or a really long sentence, etc. We've seen time and time again, prison isn't necessarily a deterrence for committing crime. And I think you make a really valid point there, Alan, that if money was spent on trying to get to the bottom of what is the root causes of this kind of behaviour and people committing these kind of offences, rather than so much money being spent on, you know, the sentencing and, you know, or indeed the trial process, there, there could be a more serious um, look into preventions of the crime from the root cause rather than just by trying to get there through deterrence, which we know doesn't work. Yes, and we see in our work so much damage that's done by child sexual exploitation. We work with the survivors, we see it day after day so I'd like to think that we have a little bit of an insight into all of this we're not survivors and of course we have to respect what they say and we have to not just hear what they say but listen because there's a difference between the two um, and respect that but as um, lawyers we see the profound damaging consequences of child sexual abuse and it just seems to me blindingly obvious that there ought to be a lot of effort expended on trying to understand why it actually happens in the first place. Why should certain individuals just deviate from you know, respectable behaviour and go and commit these terrible crimes? If we understood that more, then maybe we could prevent it happening in the first place, which would save so much misery and heartache. Absolutely. Look, I think that in terms of the survey itself, perhaps the, the way it's worded and, you know, certain, I guess, nuanced points about what the crimes are and what murder is, etc., make it a bit meaningless, but certainly opens up a lot more of a conversation and a dialogue about the things such as what we're talking about today. And that's where resources need to be put to understand criminal behaviour uh, and I think that would go a long way in assisting to prevent it. So I think that it serves a purpose in that regard, the survey. And thank you all for listening today. And also for uh, taking part in the Twitter conversation, because there was a whole range of opinions and thoughts, all of them equally valuable and thought-provoking. So I hope this podcast generates some more debate, and perhaps if there is interest, 
we can revisit the subject or subjects and the questions and um, go through this again. And thank you very much for listening. Thanks a lot. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of HJ Talks About Abuse. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify and Google Play. If you would like to speak to Alan or I about something you have heard this week, or even if you would like to suggest a topic for a future episode, please do get in touch at aboutabuse at hjtalks.co.uk. 